Cheers, mate. Today, I am unreal. And it's because, like everybody, I'm looking for something. I mean, it's not like I'm worshiping or idolizing these things, but I'll see someone famous and I want to be like them. Or there'll be a guy and it seems like he could really be right for me. Or maybe there's something that makes me forget what I don't like about myself. And, you know, these things can be great, but after a while, they're just not quite as fulfilling as I'd hoped or needed. Okay, good morning. How you doing? I want you to never forget that young lady's face. Whenever you think of idolatry, I want you to think of a lady with one massive eye and one slightly smaller eye. When I saw that, it, 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 the sound let us down to begin with originally, but I was looking for just a short clip to describe what idolatry is. And I just thought she was probably ex- describing things that we all uh, have in our hearts and that sort of thing, very briefly. So this morning we're going to be looking at idolatry. If you can turn in your Bibles, if you have them with you, to Exodus chapter 20 and put your thumb in it. And also 1 John chapter 5 and put your thumb in it. So that's Exodus, Old Testament, second book in the Bible. And that's 1 John in the New Testament, about four books from the end. The words should come up on the screen behind me. And I'm going to go ahead and read from Exodus 20, verse 2 and 4. This is what it says. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before, or in the footnotes, besides me. You shall not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, or in the earth beneath, or in the waters below. That's Exodus. Now if you can turn to 1 John. Chapter 5, verse 21, it's a long verse, it says this, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. I want to say it again, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. This morning, we're looking at this massive topic of idolatry. I pray that I haven't bitten off far more than I and you can chew, but it's important that we look at it. We're going to look at it under a few headings, which I'm going to read out in a few minutes, but I want you to understand that the reason why I pitched it from Old and New Testament is because idolatry is not confined to either Old or New Testament, but it actually runs throughout the pages of Scripture. It runs throughout the pages of Scripture, throughout the timeline of history, and it's in our day today. We tend to think of idolatry, I think I've put it in your notes, as someone else's problem. If you're anything like me, you think of idolatry as, that's their problem. That's India's problem. That's Africa's problem. That's another culture's problem. That's not really my problem. What I want to say to you this morning, idolatry is is your problem. It's my problem. It's, It's our problem. And it's very much relevant for our culture. 
We're going to look at idolatry under these five, hopefully, short headings. We're going to look at what is it. I'm going to hope to define what idolatry is. Why do we do it? Why on earth do we do it? Then we're going to look at what does your idol look like? What does your idol look like? We're going to then pick up the results of idolatry. What is the result in my life of following an idol? And then we're going to look at how do we keep ourselves from idols. That's where we're going to finish. That's the journey we're going to go on. I'm going to go ahead and pray. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for everything that you do for us. I want to thank you for the day that we see outside again. Sunshine. It's amazing. You provide warmth. You provide clothing, shelter, food. You're an amazing God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd be famous this morning. I pray, Holy Spirit, even as I'm speaking, would you be penetrating hearts and minds and lives, including my own, in Jesus' name. Amen. Because this is a big topic, I want to recommend to you a resource, a a small book here called Counterfeit Gods by a guy called Tim Keller. Is an amazing read. It's an easy read, but it's extremely insightful. We've got, I think, 10 copies over at the resource area after this morning's meeting. They are 1p each. No, I'm only joking. I saw Tracy's head go up then. Um, I'll have three. Um, they are, I, I hope, cheap, uh, but they're going to they're really bless you as, they had, as, it has, as it has me. Go and get it. Counterfeit gods. All right, I can push it out of the way now. Okay, I want to start by reading you a quote by a guy called C.J. Mahaney. He said this. I think he was quoting on someone else, but I couldn't quite quite understand, okay? But I'm going to to give you credit, C.J. Mahaney. Idolatry has been described as the most discussed problem in the entire Bible and one of the most powerful spiritual and intellectual concepts in the believer's arsenal. Yet for Christians today, it is one of the least meaningful notions and is surrounded with ironies. Perhaps this is why many evangelicals... Listen up, Christian. Perhaps this is why many evangelicals are ignorant of the idols in their lives. Contemporary evangelicals are little better at recognising and resisting idols than modern secular people are. Now this is what I want us to grasp. There can be no believing communities, King's Church, there can be no believing communities without an unswerving eye to the detection and destruction of idols. If you're taking notes, the message title today is What Do You Live For? What do you live for? Let's launch in with the first heading. I want to define what idolatry is. So what is it? Here's another couple of quotes, okay? I found these really helpful. A quote by a chap called Ken Sandy. An idol is not simply a statue of wood, stone or metal. It is anything we love and pursue in place of God. It can be also referred to as a functional God or a false God. An idol is something other than God that we set our hearts on, that motivate us, that master or rule us, or that we serve. Is that understandable? Here's another one by Richard Keyes. An idol is something within creation that is inflated. Picture that. That is puffed up 
and inflated above God to, uh, to function as God, all sorts of things are potential idols, depending only on our attitudes and actions toward them. And I thought this was incredibly insightful. Idolatry may not explicitly deny God's existence. Idolatry may not involve explicit denials of God's existence or character. It may well come in the form of an overattachment to something that is in itself perfectly good. So, idolatry is really anything, anything that you can think of that becomes an ultimate thing that takes first place in your life above God, that you put above God. Absolutely anything. Let's look at this. It can be a good thing, a bad thing, a person. I'm just listing off a few here. A hobby, an interest, a sport, an addiction, an addiction, a possession, a possession, a job, a position, a role, a title, an object, a hero. Even the church can become your idol. Even your ministry. That's my calling. That's my calling. Even your calling can become your idol. Because you, you look to function in that above God. 1 John. In 1 John, chapter 5, verse 21, this is what the Amplified Translation blows it up as. Little children, keep yourselves from idols, which are false gods, from anything and everything that would occupy first place in your heart due to God, from any sort of substitute for him that would take first place in your life. So idolatry, church, visitors, friends, idolatry is anything that occupies first place in your heart that should go to God. Anything. Absolutely anything. So I want to ask you a question this morning. How about you? How's it going for you? Has someone or something occupied first place in your heart, your mind, your life, above God? Let that rest for a minute. Anyone or anything? While you're thinking about that, I want to move on to the next heading. Why do we do it? Why on earth do we follow idols? We've always sung about this morning. With Teresa, it took Teresa a great deal to come to the microphone this morning to speak about her God. With this God that we serve and we sing about and we give our time, our money, our energy to, why on earth would we follow idols? Why do we make them? Well, because that's who we're, we've been designed to be. We're idol makers. We are worshippers. We've been designed to worship. It's who we are. It's been programmed into us right from the very beginning. Whether you believe me or not, I'm telling you, you are all worshippers. I am a worshipper. We've been designed, we've sung about it this morning. We have been made in God's image, designed by God to worship God. It's just who we worship, that's the issue. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, we see this instruction. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. We read over that so easily. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. How's that going? Do you know, Jesus echoes that, because some people say, well, that's Old Testament, isn't it? Jesus echoes those very words. He adds a caveat to it and says, oh, yeah, love everyone else as well. Love your neighbour as yourself. But he, he echoes this command from the Old Testament. So that's who we've been designed to worship. We've been designed to worship God. And when we don't, that is when problems come. This is when problems come. When we don't give it to him, we go seeking Seeking everywhere and anywhere, looking for it. Looking for whatever we can give our heart to, whatever we can attach ourselves to, whatever I can give my strength to, my all in all to. My heart just goes seeking. I go looking for it. When I don't give it fully to God, I just, I'll give it anywhere and everywhere. And so will you. We're all pleasure seekers, we're fickle creatures, forgive me for saying that, but we're all fickle creatures. We're all seeking, are we not, satisfaction, fulfilment? Is that what you're seeking? Be honest with me this morning. It's not rhetoric, yeah? All seeking satisfaction, fulfilment, purpose and meaning, all of us. All of us. And we get so hurt when we don't find it. We get lost when we don't find it. But we're all so easily misled, aren't we? We're all so easily misled. I have been wonderfully and easily misled through my life. And I continue to be easily misled. Because it's who I am. It's who we are. C.J. C. J. Lewis, he was a singer, I think. C.S. Lewis said this. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud, pl- mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So whoever you are this morning, we all crave and seek the same things in life. Love, affection, acceptance, meaning, purpose, significance, security, identity, joy, pleasure, peace, fulfilment. The list just goes on. Add whatever you like to it. That's what we seek. And when we don't find these things in God and in God alone, we trust in someone or something else. We believe that X, I believe that a relationship will help me. I believe that a friendship will be all that I need. I believe that another drink will give me courage and confidence. I believe that more sex will fulfil my every desire. I believe that that job is just what I need for happiness, for happiness. I believe that the church, if I can just find my role within the church, oh boy, then I'll be going great guns, then I'll be motoring. Many of you think that, I I think that. But it, whatever it is for you, it never does, does it? It never really satisfies whatever X is. Do you know, because it's a fake satisfaction compared to the real deal, compared to the infinite joy that is there in Jesus Christ. What we do is we go on making mud pies in a slum when infinite joy is offered us. 
So what about you? What does your idol look like? What does your idol look like? I want to spend a little longer in this section. This, I pray, is really where the rubber hits the road. And I pray also that the Holy Spirit highlights, pinpoints, reveals, weeds out, uncovers the idol in your life. How do we first recognise idolatry? Well, I believe by firstly accepting that we've all got them. Accepting that you have an idol, or you've had an idol, or you will have an idol if you're not careful. You've got to accept and believe that idolatry is for all of us, not just for those weaker people. Remember, I want us to be a community, as CJ says, with an unswerving eye to the detection and destruction of idols. That's what I pray you would look at into my life. If you were to say, San, I'm noticing this, I want you to boldly approach me and say, and be, be that unswerving eye. I want to be an unswerving eye for some of you to say, I'm, I've noticed this in your life. And I pray by God's grace you'd be open enough to say, Thank you, brother. Thank you for being honest with me. As I pray, in all humility, which I know is tough for all of us, that I would be the same to you. We are to be a community with an unswerving eye to the detection and destruction of idols, okay? I, I, please, let's be in this together. Let's do this together. Here's another quote by C.J. Mahaney. Overlooking idolatry makes us blind to our own problems. Idols are not just for pagan altars, but for well-educated hearts and minds. I'm going to push this on a little further. They're not only for pagan altars and well-educated hearts and minds, but they're for Hastings. Forgive me, those here with well-educated hearts and minds, but there are many in Hastings that do not have well-educated hearts and minds. Okay? They are not only for well-educated hearts and minds, but idols for, for every heart and mind. Everyone. It's so easy to look at other people, isn't it, and say, I'm not like that. I'm, I'm not like Dave. Sorry, Dave, I haven't noticed idolatry in your life. <laughs> but I'm not like them. We're not like them. We live in a culture that looks at idolatry, don't, don't we, quite differently. Just the word idolatry. You probably, many of you, had a picture of a golden calf in your mind. Or a monkey. Or a pig. I don't know. Whatever other nations bow down to worship, Stephen Laurie, I've caught your eye, you would see a lot of idolatry in another nation, being India, that we do not see here. In this nation, we don't tend to see people chipping away at gold or wood or stone, making for themselves an idol to bow down and worship. But we do bow down. We do worship. We do bow down and worship, but they, we don't carve them out. We carve them out somewhere quite differently. Somewhere quite different. A man called John Calvin said this, The human heart is the idol factory. The human heart is the factory of idols. What a graphic picture. Picture a heart now. 
Not just the organ, because that's quite disgusting. Picture your heart, the centre of your being, the command centre, that innermost place that no one else knows about. That's where your idol is carved out. That's the idol factory. The heart is where it starts. The heart is where my idol is formed, is crafted, it's made, it's fashioned, it's polished. And it's where I bow down and worship. It's where I bow down and worship. The heart is the idol factory of our lives. What a graphic picture. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6. For where your treasure is, these are the words of our master, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd whisper right now. Come and whisper. Come and whisper. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where your idol is, where the command centre is, where that thing is, where that addiction is, where that possession is, where that person is, that's where your heart is. Maybe you'll understand it better the other way around. Where your heart is. Where's your heart drifting off to right now? Stop it and call it back. Where's it going? Because at the end of that tunnel, at the end of that journey, you're going to find your idol. Where's it going right now? Where does your heart easily go off to? Where your heart is, that's where your idol will be. Now, I wanted to read off, a, to be honest, what would have been a quite exhaustive list, and it's, we, we wouldn't have all day. Because, like I've said, everything and anything has been an idol, so the list is really far too great. What hasn't been an idol, as we've heard? But what I'm going to do, I'm not going to do that, which I'm, I, I, I presume you're going to be happy about. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you a number or a series of questions, as I do this, can I ask you to close your eyes? Sorry if you're a visitor here and you're slightly weirded out by this. Feel free not to close your eyes. Um, but if, if you feel comfortable, can you close your eyes? I'm going to read out a list of series of questions, and then on the back of this I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray that our God would speak to you. Okay, here comes the first one. Are you self-sufficient? Basically, do you make yourself your own God? Are you very reliant on yourself? Are you self-sufficient? Because I want to be bold enough to tell you that this is sin. This is what the Bible describes as sin because it means we don't need God. Good, now I've got that one out of the way. What do you crave What do you crave? What's your heart craving right now? What do you find ultimate satisfaction in? What do you find yourself continually and habitually thinking about? What gets your attention? What gets you so excited? What do you spend most of your time talking about? Maybe I shouldn't ask you this. What if I was to ask a friend... If I asked your friend to describe to me what you spent most of your time talking about, 
What would they tell me? What do you spend a lot of your time doing? If I were to give you a thousand pounds, which I can assure you I'm not going to do, what would you spend it on? Maybe some of you are saying, that's that's far too little. Let's push it. How about a million pounds? Suddenly, what cruise are you taking? Where are you off to? Now, I'm not saying that there's something bad in our desires. It's, It's actually when we desire it too much. But what would you spend a million pounds on? What addictions do you have? What addictions do you have? What habits do you have that you think are under control? What or whom do you rely on? Where do you go? What do you do when things get tough? Do you turn to booze? Do you turn to drugs? Do you turn to an addiction? Where do you go when things get tough? What do you dream about? What do you eat? How much do you eat? Where do you eat? Do do you eat? Do you eat? What do you watch on TV, especially when there's no one else around? And I want to address you men, particularly with this, because I'm a man. (laughs) I want to address you with this issue. What do you find yourself surfing to on the internet when your wife isn't around? Maybe you're here single and you don't have a wife. Where do you find yourself surfing to on the internet? Late at night, when no one else is around? And finally, what do you do in secret? Feel free to open your eyes whenever. You can keep them closed for the rest of the day. What do you do in secret? What does your heart find in secret? Because who you are in secret, people, is really who you are. It's really who you are. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Holy Spirit, I pray right now. I thank you that we can call on you for our all in all, like Paul said. And I just invite you here. As Nick said, right from the start of worship, we invite you here. And I pray, would you come and weed out right now in Jesus' name? Myself, Lord, would you highlight to me idols and idolatry in my life? And would you do it for my brothers and sisters and for my friends here? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to ask you to be open through the rest of this message. Be open to God. And as you feel things come down, write them down. Just jot them down. So that's a good way to figure out what the idol is in your life. See where your heart gets drawn to. What are the results of idolatry? What's the impact on our life? What's the impact on your life? Slavery. And captivity. I use these words, slavery and captivity. In Exodus 20, verse 2, God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God reminds his people, okay? He reminds them that he chose them, that he called them, that he saved them, that he grabbed hold of them and brought them out. It was him that saved them. And on the back of this, he says, now that I've done this, I'm paraphrasing, now that I've done this, have no other God. Please do not turn to any other God besides me, because I've rescued you. I've led you out of captivity. I've driven you out of captivity. 
where you were held by the Egyptians. We're never going to understand how, how binding this was for them. But Jesus promises us the same today, that he will lead us out of captivity, that he leads us out of slavery, and it's a massive stronghold, massive, and only he can do it. So, as we turn to idols, what is the result in your life, in my life? Slavery. It's effectively doing this. Thanks for that, Lord. Thanks for everything you've done. I'm just going to walk myself straight back into captivity here. I'm just going to walk myself straight back into slavery. Oh, look, there's a straitjacket. I'm going to put on this spiritual straitjacket, and the more I move around in my idol, the more I move and trust and believe in that thing, the tighter its grip. I don't know quite how uh, straitjackets hold, but I think the more you move around in, the tighter the grip it has on you. So the more you move around in your idol, the tighter the grip it has around you, the more it demands from you, the more it will demand from you. If you're addicted to drugs, you need more drugs. If you're addicted to sex, you need more. If you're addicted to anything, the more you move around in it, you need more and more and more. You're held captive to it. You're held absolutely captive to it. So God is saying, have no gods beside me. No counterfeits, as Tim Keller has written. No fakes, no phonies. The more you move around in it, the more you end up looking like it as well. You look like the very thing you worship. Your idol, that thing you follow, becomes your slave master. Let's use that language. Your slave master. And this is what it ends up looking like. If you're addicted to sex or pornography, you become a sex addict. Okay? You become a sex addict. If it's alcohol, you become an alcoholic. If it's a person, if you worship and idolise a person, you become dependent or codependent on that person. If, we, if you worship food, you become a glutton. I need to be careful of this. I love food. If you, I seriously love food. I think many of us need to be careful about this. Sometimes I, I find myself just gnawing, tucking in, and I look up with sweat pouring off me, and M says, slow down. What on earth are you doing? We laugh, but many of us can struggle with that. I love food. Crisps. I know Paul Mann likes crisps as well. Chloe told us. Um, <laughs> but crisps are my doubt. Crisps, okay? Crisps is my stumbling block. So maybe when you see me afterwards or see me next week, ask me, how's it going with Doritos? How's it going? How's it going? I'd appreciate that. Jesus said, <laughs> and if you worship money, you become greedy. Many of us need to hear that. And if you worship possessions, you become materialistic. Many of us need to hear that. I need to hear that one as well. Just another one. I've still got a pair of shoes that my dad bought me in my cupboard at home. Expensive shoes. There's not many days that go past that I don't open up the cupboard and go, look at those shoes. Whoa, they're nice shoes. I sometimes put them on, right? And I stand in front of the mirror and say, yeah, I'd look good if I went out in those shoes. Let's take them off and put them back. I don't want to ruin those shoes. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's what can happen with idolatry. It becomes such a hold on us that it just, 
it's where we find satisfaction. So I can find satisfaction in material stuff. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters in Matthew's Gospel. No one can serve two masters, two gods. If you do, you end up loving one and hating the other. So which is it for you? Do you love and idolise your clothing, your appearance, your addiction, your friends, your spouse, your child, this church, above God? Or do you idolise and worship the Saviour? What is it for you? Which is your master? Because we will have a master. You will have a master. Galatians 5.1 says, It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Thank you, Simon. And do not let yourselves be burdened again with a yoke of slavery. It's for freedom that Jesus set you free. And this is the absolute absurd irony of it that hit me yesterday, in fact. That as we are enslaved or mastered by Jesus, he sets us free. That's the irony. But if you're enslaved and mastered by alcohol, you become an alcoholic. You're enslaved, you're bound, and you're ruined by that master. But as you are following Christ, as you turn to him, as you're enslaved by him, as he becomes your master, you're free. Are you experiencing freedom in Christ? It says, whoever the sun sets free is free indeed. Talking about Jesus. So if Jesus is your master, experience freedom in Jesus' name. Also, another thing, in Exodus 20, God says, now that I've led you out, now that I've brought you out of here, have no other God, and he describes in heaven, on earth, and under the... Then he says, for I am the Lord, your God. And I want you to hear that. I, Jesus says, am your God, and I am a jealous God. Okay? I am a jealous God. God will not share his glory and his fame with anyone or anything else. Isaiah 48, 11 says, For my own sake, for my own sake I do this. How can I be defamed? This is the words of our God. How can I be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. When you follow pornography, when you follow gluttony, when you follow material possessions... You defame God. You defame him. You say that they are more important. You say, here you go, have my glory, my honour, my reverence, my worship, my all in all, because I trust you, friend, addiction, and I've defamed God. When we do this, everything else we turn to are counterfeits and fakes. I've had a few experiences of fakes in my time. I bought some, uh, this is a few years ago now, some fake Ralph Lauren shirts. They looked sweet from a distance in the packet, but you get up close to them and they're almost transparent. You know, real Ralph Lauren shirts, I don't know whether you follow fashion. I obviously don't because I'm still talking about Ralph Lauren. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, thanks, Reg is nodding at me. Um, real Ralph Lauren shirts are thick, good quality. Good quality, right? I bought a load in Greece and uh, washed them once and they, they, they fit my son. They, they, they shrink. They shrink. It wasn't since I was a Christian, I, I want to add, right? 
Also, I remember just put, buying this... Um, I call them looky-looky men. That's probably bang out of order saying that. But you go anywhere and people say, look, 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 you want to look at this? You want to buy this? So I, call, I say looky-looky, sorry. That's probably awful, isn't it? But these guys sold me this, this necklace. And I put it on and jumped in the sea and wore it in the sea and swimming pool and it, was, it went green. <laughs> it went green. Also, diesel aftershave, okay? I'm sure it was pure diesel <laughs> that I was splashing on my face. It smelled like diesel anyway. So what I'm trying to say is, compared to the real deal, any other thing, like my clothing, jewellery, and aftershave, it all smelled ridiculous and looked ridiculous compared to the real deal. I've also believed in the fake promise of happiness in a person. Before I was a Christian, right, I had I, this hole in my heart. What was life all about? I need meaning and purpose. I jumped from relationship to relationship. I, I was hurt. I hurt others. I, it was just ridiculous. I always thought that this person would fulfill my every need. I believed that fake promise in a person. I also believed in the fake promise as a possession, as I've told you, in a thing. And I also believed in the fake promise that a drug would satisfy my every need until I was hooked on class A drugs for many years. Nearly killed me. But I couldn't let go because the more I moved around in it, cocaine became, became my straitjacket and it would not let me go. It became my slave master. Would not let me go. So what are you enslaved to this morning? What are you enslaved to? Because I believed in the broken promise of satisfaction guaranteed in a thing or possession. Only God is all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present, continually faithful, always gracious, always good. Only God loves you unconditionally. Only God is ultimate and infinite. Only God, only in Jesus, has every promise, yes and amen. Only in God. Only in God. Only in Jesus will you find your promises, yes and amen. Yes and amen. So whatever you idolise, whatever you worship, whatever you become a slave to, you become mastered by, ruled by, and ultimately you'll look like, you'll sound like, you'll unfortunately smell like that thing that masters you. So what's the result? This is where we're going to spend uh, the last few minutes of our time. How do we keep ourselves from idols? 1 John, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Dear King's Church, keep yourselves from idols. How do we do this? It is not through positive thinking, although to think good is good. It is not through doing good things, although doing good things is good. It is not trying really hard, although trying really hard is good. But that is not how we do it. You need to replace your idol replace your idol with something of far greater value. Now, men might know here, are, are familiar with Top Trumps? The game Top Trumps, okay? Basically, this is how it works. My Porsche 911 Turbo, which I have, by the way, beats David's one-litre beige Metro every time. Every time. Okay? My Porsche 911 Turbo, which Ian's probably got, beats Dave's one-litre beige Metro every time. Sorry, Ian. 
I've lost where I was going with this now. Right. You don't replace, what I'm trying to say, you don't, you don't replace your idol with another idol of equal worth. So I'm not going to replace an addiction with another addiction. But that's what we do, isn't it? Let's be honest, that's what we do. We replace relationship with relationship. Drug for alcohol. A hobby for a, whatever else it might be. To find fulfilment, we replace it. You need to replace it with something, or should I say, you know where I'm going with this. Someone far more valuable. Far more valuable than a Porsche 911 Turbo. This guy called Thomas Chalmers, many of you would know and have read, calls this the expulsive power of a new affection. Lovely term, the expulsive power of a new affection. That was the same as when I met my beautiful wife, Emma. The first moment I saw her, I was like a quivering mess. Yeah, I was smitten. I was in love. I had proper aftershave on. But I, I knew that the moment I saw M, there was an expulsive power of a new affection that cast out, that expelled every other girl, every other imagined girl that I could think of. There was an affection for her that pushed out everything else. That's the same with idolatry. They need to be top-trumped. They need to be replaced with something more valuable and much more beautiful. And I must say, my wife is more beautiful to me than any other girl on the planet. Jesus is the most beautiful, valuable, amazing, precious, gift, person, thing that is God than you can ever think or imagine. The moment Jesus broke into my life, I was hooked. And he expelled drug addiction in an instant. I didn't try hard. I must try hard because that nearly killed me. The moment that I saw Christ for who he was, he drove out this idol in my life. Jesus is the expulsive power that drives out idolatry. But I know what life is like. Things happen, passion dies, desire diminishes, uh, people die, we get hurt, we get disillusioned, we get let down, we get upset, the church lets us down, whatever it might be. We're all in it together. But what I do know is this, when Jesus captures your heart again, when Jesus gets your attention again, as I pray he gets this morning, when you give Jesus your all in all, when you look to him for your all in all, he becomes your all in all. He becomes your all in all. Remember Andrew Wilson, he had me stood up here a few weeks ago holding these bricks. Think about that again, that illustration. Whatever the bricks are in your life, addiction, a relationship, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a hobby, whatever it is, to, to receive Christ, not just for the first time, but as we go on walking with him, we need to let go of everything else. To say, you're the pearl of great price. You're the precious saviour. Are you willing to drop everything, whatever it might be, recognition, success, possessions, a job, a hurt, an addiction, more drink, more drugs, more sex, whatever it is, are you willing to lay it at Jesus' feet again and say, I, I live for you? To have him deeply, we need to know who he is deeply. John Eldridge says, if we do not have God and have him deeply, we'll turn to other lovers. Are you turning to other lovers? Here's a few statements that Jesus said about himself. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. 
He who believes in me will never be thirsty. He's not talking about filling up your belly. He's talking about filling up your soul. If you're here this morning, Jesus can promise you and he offers you eternal satisfaction. Do you need that? Do you need that? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. He will have the light of life. I was in darkness. Pure and utter darkness. Are you in darkness this morning? Because Jesus says, he who believes in me will walk in light. He'll set you free from captivity. And this is the, listen to this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. I have friends here this morning that have lost a loved one. We need to hear this time and time again. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. Jesus offers you eternal life. What other God can give you that promise? Life eternal with him. So, I ask you again, what or who do you live for? Listen to this excerpt from John Piper's book, The Pleasures of God, who he he wrote these to his sons, this, this final excerpt. Finally, a word to my sons. This book is dedicated to you, Carsten and Benjamin and Abraham and Barnabas. If there is any legacy I want to leave you, it is not money or house or land, it is a vision of God. As great and glorious a God as one could ever see. But more than that, I want to leave you the legacy of this a passion for this God. A passion far beyond what any human can produce. A passion for God flowing from the very heart of God. Never forget this, he says. That God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. But even more, and this is my prayer, and this is my prayer, in God's time, may your satisfaction in him be without measure as it becomes the very pleasure of God in God. So to close, this is my heart and prayer for you and for me. Whether you know him or whether you don't know him. I want you to leave here today with a vision and a passion for Jesus for God, far bigger than when you came in. Please. A passion that grows and grows and grows and that can never be measured. A passion that expels all other idols from your lives. A passion that grabs hold of Jesus and lives for him. Let him be your master. Let him be the one that takes centre place. Let him be the one you crave. Let him be the one you find love and acceptance. Let him be the one you find security and significance. Let him be the one you find life and meaning in. Let him be the one where you find your joy and peace. Let him be the one you trust and have faith. Let him be the one you rely on when things go wrong. Let him be your source, strength and courage. Let him, guys, be the one you talk about. Let him be the one you desire in secret. Let him be the one that captures your attention, your vision, your passion. Let Jesus be the one you live for. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. Can we stand? Lord Jesus, I just pray, Lord, I I thank you that you never let us down. We look to you as the great God, the great God above all gods. And I pray would this be our prayer. I pray would this be our heart. 
as a church, as a people, as individuals. We'd look to you for our first source of life and fulfilment and significance and meaning and purpose and acceptance. We'd look to you, Lord Jesus. Help me do this more and more. Help us do it more and more. Make that your heart. Make that your prayer. God bless you. And I pray, Lord Jesus, would you do us good, keep us safe, keep us safe from the evil one. If there's any that don't know you here this morning, I pray that people would leave here knowing you this morning. I pray you would would have a vision of you far greater than we can ever imagine or think of. Lord Jesus, catch our hearts again, I pray. Amen. Amen.